Welcome to This Crip Life, a place where you can meet disabled people and learn about the things that affect them. This is an Asheville FM podcast produced by DIY Able. Today in This Crip Life, I'm going to talk to a person I met during the pandemic, Freddie Ladner. I've been disabled for about 22 years now, and before the pandemic, I met other disabled people, but I never really created friendships with any of them. During the pandemic was the first time I actually met disabled people, and I became friends with them. It was really wonderful. Freddie Ladner is probably one of the kindest, smartest, and one of the most capable people I've met in my entire life. When he wants something, he figures out how to get it. So I wanted to sit down with him so people can understand that when you meet a disabled person, don't assume that this is not a person you would want to become friends with, give a job to, or give some sort of opportunity to. As I like to say, disabled people are people. Some people you like, some people you don't. And that's the same for disabled people. Meeting Freddie made me realize I was not alone in the obstacles I face in the world as a disabled person. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of This Crip Life. And today I'm going to talk to a person I met during the pandemic. Um, His name is Freddie Ladner, and we met through this group called Crip Chat, where it was a safe space for disabled people to just discuss things they deal with in their daily lives. And Freddie and I became really great friends. And so I just wanted to interview him because he, he, he has a disability, a cerebral palsy, and I wanted him to talk about his experiences of living with this. He was born with it, and I wanted to, him to share his experiences. So Hi, Freddie. Hi, Priya. Thank you for having me today. Yes, of course. And I'm so glad you agreed to do it. Thank you for doing it. So go ahead. I I would just like you to talk about your experience. You were born with it. So please just go ahead and share whatever you feel like sharing with us. Well, as Priya stated, my name is Freddie Ladner. I'm 33 years old with cerebral palsy. Um, For those that don't know, cerebral palsy is typically the lack of oxygen at at birth, and um, there's different types of cerebral palsy where some people can walk, and their cerebral palsy is very mild, and some are, you know, have, where their cerebral palsy, they need more assistance, and I fit in that category where I need more assistance with my everyday life and hygiene things that I need help with. So you mentioned people with cerebral palsy, they have, you know, everybody that has cerebral palsy doesn't have the same experience. And I think that's like a lot, a lot of times people don't understand that they just think like oh you have you know they think it's like the flu like oh i got the flu you got the flu we have some of the similar symptoms and then we get over it but with disability 
all disabilities, no matter what you have, are different. And that's true of cerebral palsy as well. So you said you need assistance. So how much how much percentage of assistance do you think you would need? Do you need in comparison to someone that that doesn't have cerebral palsy at all? Let's just say that. I probably need about 90 to 95% assistance with everything. Okay. So you have a caregiver and they help you. Why don't you tell or if you're comfortable, tell me what the caregiver helps you do. And- um, I have a provider and my provider helps me with anything that I need help with as far as cooking, laundry, showering, putting on deodorant, helping me eat, helping me put on my clothes, transferring, and all that fun stuff. Like, I need help with just about everything yeah but one of the things i love about you freddie is you're like one of the most positive people i've met in my life (laughs) even though you're like you know to other people they'd be like oh i feel so sorry for this guy He, he needs all this help with stuff so would you mind talking about you know why do you think you are positive because you know we we meet we see a lot of disabled people that aren't as positive as you like do you you know have any i you know like why that is for you like that well um i've always been a positive person i do have my down days where i don't but of course i'm human so everybody's not gonna have a good positive day but i also think um my religious background helps with that and so yeah okay yeah so what about your religion like you were just taught like from a child to like like explain that to me um i believe that everything happens for a reason and even though at times i feel like i'm a burden because of all the assistance that i need i also understand that i'm disabled for a reason and that may be because I need to bring awareness to other people that may not be disabled. Right. So I want to go back to like the group home because you and I have talked about being advocates and activists. And I remember one time you told me I'm not an advocate or activist. And then, you, you know, you were talking to me about when you lived in the group home, like, and how you felt compelled to help people that were getting abused. So, which I feel is advocacy. So do you want to talk about that a little? Sure. Um, For those that don't know, I went into a group home um, about the age of 12 or 13. Um, It was the Bob Hope School in Port Arthur, Texas. And I was there for seven years. And um, I just have a giving heart and I would help the um, students with their homework. And sometimes um, I would like, we had several um, children that lived there or that were nonverbal and they would be fussing because 
um, they didn't want to watch what was on TV. So I would go up to them and ask them what they wanted to watch because I had an idea of what they liked to watch. So I would be like, you want to watch this? And for an example, I'd be like, do you want to watch wrestling? And they would shake their head yes or no to communicate. Yes, I do want to watch that or no, I do not. And if they didn't, then I would try to guess something else that they wanted to watch. And unfortunately, sometimes I would have to be an advocate and report things that were happening to be nonverbal um, kids that weren't able to communicate. And I would have to go to a um, adult and be like, hey, this is happening. So, yeah. I always tried to be a voice to the ones that did not have a voice. And I think I have a special knack for that because I also have a brother that is nonverbal. So, yeah. So, like, nonverbal, like, I think for people that are the non disabled, when they meet someone nonverbal, they're their automatic response is like, this person isn't smart and they have nothing to say. But obviously you and I who know a lot of nonverbal people know that is not the case. So, you know, like, how do you think we can like help people understand that? Like that just because someone's nonverbal doesn't mean they don't have intelligence or thoughts and ideas and wants, needs, all these types of things. Well, I think if a person's going to interact with someone that's nonverbal, they're not going, going to communicate like you and I do. And it's very time consuming. And you have to have the patience to be able to communicate with them because there's some nonverbal um, people out there that only communicate with the movements of their eyes. Like, they don't even have the ability to shake their head yes or no. They just communicate with the movement of their eyes. And that's very time-consuming because for someone to move their eyes, it could take them time to be like, okay, I'm telling my body to do this. But even for a disabled person, it just takes time to get our body to do what we want it to do. Right. And so I like my thought is just like, because I think I feel like currently we're like in the age of technology and it's at the beginning and it's only going to get better. I think technologically wise, I think this is something that can really help that that specific group of disabled people, like people that can't really communicate through talking now we have, you know, technology where they can somehow access a keyboard. Um, and um, you know about some of this technology because you actually have issues with using your hands because your hands are, you know, distorted from the CP. So you can't really type and stuff. So do you want to talk about some of the technology that you use for yourself so you can communicate 
you know, communicate equally like everybody else in the world? Sure. Um, I have dexterity issues due to my cerebral palsy. And I can type, but I only type with one finger. So to make it easier, I've found adaptive apps that I can use to, that I can put on my phone and my computer so I can um, communicate to my phone and tell it to type something and it will show up on my computer. And that's that that's a time saver for me because I can type up a long email that would normally take me an hour and a half to two hours. I can normally do it in 20 to 30 minutes because um, the Mouse Pro app isn't perfect. So sometimes it thinks I said one thing when I actually said something else. I got to take the time to proofread and correct everything the way that I want it to be written. Yeah, and just, you know, from the non-disabled community, like, I mean, I'm not, I am disabled, but I don't have those issues, but I'm always using, like, on my phone, I'm always using the voice to text app, and this, oh my God, some, some embarrassing things have happened. Like, I'll tell I'll tell you like the other day, I, it was like a couple of days ago and I did this voice and it was a group family text, like all my family members. And I was like, you guys, and I, you know, I just got the standing wheelchair. So I'm excited and sending them like kind of oversending like pictures and things with it. And I was like, I'm so sorry, guys. I know you're probably getting tired of me sending these pictures, but I, you know, I'm so excited. It's such an exciting thing. So I hope you don't mind. I'm not oversharing. And it ended up saying something like, something about having someone's dick in my hand or some weird thing like that. And I didn't really read it or look at, I just sent it. And then my brother's like, because I think my brother realized what happened. So he's like, Priya, watch your language. Watch your language. And I was just like, and I went and read it. I was so embarrassed because these are like, you know, they're not my parents, but they're like my uncles and aunts. And then, you know, my younger cousins and stuff. I'm sure they were laughing. But um, yeah, I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God. So I I told, I, you know, I had to write them to like, I'm so sorry, guys. I was using the voice to text up and I didn't proofread. And, you know, obviously it's not something I would really say. So. So, yeah, so that's like an issue that everyone has with this kind of technology. And, you know, I just think as time goes on, that's going to it's going to get better. So I think we'll not have, you know, you won't have to proofread as much. And, you know, it'll even shorten that half an hour or even less for you to send an email. So, you know, so I want to go back to the group home because you lived in the group home, but you don't live in a group home anymore. You live on your own in an apartment. And I love, I love you to talk about how you did that and how people were kind of pushing back against you doing that. Okay. Like I stated earlier in this podcast, um, I lived in the group home for about seven years and I couldn't stay there anymore because I graduated 
from high school. So therefore I couldn't stay in the group home anymore. So um, in August 1st of 2007, I moved out on my own and um, got my own apartment. And um, I had to make a lot of phone calls to get provider services going. And then I had to also make phone calls to get everything that I needed for the apartment. Like I had to go to like Salvation Army and like to get my pots and pans and stuff, you know, things that you need for the apartment. But um, I chose to live on my own because the group home was so structured that from the time that we woke up to almost the to the time that we went to bed, like it was so structured and we had to do everything at a certain time. And I just wanted to be able to live on my own. And the pushback that Priya was referring to that a lot of people told me that I shouldn't live on my own because I require so much physical care that what would happen if I didn't have have a provider with me and a fire broke out. And I was like, well, I would try to call 911 and explain to them my situation and try to, you know, get them to get me out. But I'm like, at the end of the day, if it's my time to go, it's just my time to go. And a lot of people thought I was absolutely insane for thinking that way. And they thought that, one, I either needed to have someone live with me or two, um, live in another facility where, you know, if something like that happened, they would have people there around the clock to, you know, take care of us. Right. So um, currently there's some legislation in Congress. There's this thing called the HCBS Access Act, which is the Home Home Community Service-Based Act. And they're trying to like change, you know, they're trying to get Congress to change that. So um, people that want people that are disabled or chronically ill can choose to have live in a place on their own and get assistance at their home. And I think that would apply to you, right? So that, so that what they're going to do is uh, eliminate waiting lists and all this kind of stuff. Um, then they're going to force meta if it passes, of course, and they're going to force all the Medicaid in all States to, to provide home health care services. So how do you think that would affect you if, if this was to pass? I don't think it would affect me very much, good or bad, because I'm on another program through the state of Texas that actually helps me get provider care services. It's not through my um, typical insurance. Right. So it's just some another 
organization that's like an advocate to disabled people that's helping you get that? Is that what's I'm it's like a waiver program. It's a program for those that live in the state of Texas. It's called the class program. C-L-A-S-S class. And like I said, it's a state funded program. And I will say the waiting list is extremely long to get on. But the benefits of being on this program is um, excellent. That's great. But I do think because if this act got passed, I do think it's going to force Medicaid to kind of work with places like that to kind of start eliminating these waiting lists. Are there limitations of what you can do because you're on that program? Like, what are the limitations you have? The only limitation that I can think of at the moment is I cannot leave the state of Texas. If I want to stay on this class program that I'm on, I can move, but it has to, I have to remain in the state of Texas. Well, that makes sense because it's probably a Texas-based program. So. Correct. Right. Okay. So, okay, well, let's talk about work because I know you had some experience with trying to work. And so can you tell me about the program? Because I think you, you were like, I, I recall you telling me that you got assistance to get a job because you were on some program, but I can't really quite remember what was going on there. Um, in the summer of 2005, six, and 2007, I was able to get a summer job through the Texas Workforce Center. Um, back then it was called the um, Power Zone, but now I think they just call it the Texas Workforce Center, where they hire teenagers. I think um, the age was like 13 to 17, just to get them used to, you know, going to work and being out in the community and everything like that. And um, the place that I ended up at for all the three years that I um, pursued this summer job was the um, Port Arthur News. And I had to advocate for myself because um, the first year they had me do like data entry with computer stuff. And I'm going to be honest, it was extremely, extremely boring. Some days they didn't have anything for me to do. And I just sat there. But hey, I got paid for sitting there. So I'm not going to complain. But finally, the second year, I, I talked to some of the people that were over me. And I was like, I want to do something more than just data entry and um they were like well what can you do and I'm like well I'm really good at answering phones and whatnot and they were like oh really have you had any background in this and at the same time um 
the group home that I lived at was also attached to a school part of the building where we had the kids that couldn't go out to public school because of their medical needs. There was also a school that they could go to in the same building. And um, I would help out in the office part of the school building and I would um, answer the phone and transfer the calls where they needed to go or take messages or whatever. So I told the um, Port Arthur News about this experience and they were like, well, it seems like you have some background in that and you would be good at doing like receptionist work with helping us answer the phones and whatnot. So they um, decided to give me a shot. They um, set me up with a phone and they get, gave me a headset that I could use because with my disability, with my hand, I'm not able to like pick up the phone and hold the phone up to my ear. So they gave me a headset. Now, I didn't sit at the switchboard because at the switchboard, you have to do more than just answer the phones, but um, like you have to take people's um, money like when they come and pay for their newspaper subscription and everything like that. So with the phone system that they had, you could, they had a feature on there that even if you weren't close to your job phone, but your phone was ringing, you could put in this code and pick it up from any other phone. So when I heard the um, switchboard phone ringing, I would actually put in the code into my, into the phone and it would make it where I could pick up the phone from the switchboard, even though I was nowhere by the switchboard. It was pretty cool. And I would um, just take the phone calls and transfer the calls where they needed to go. And um, there was a lot of phone extensions with the Port Arthur News. So what one of my coworkers did was got a like cardboard box and they cut a piece of it off and actually taped the um the two sheets of the phone extensions on this cardboard where I could actually see the numbers and look at the person's name and put in their extension if somebody called to talk to that particular person. Okay, so that's cool because you, you know, your disability was preventing you from doing that somehow. And, you know, someone actually was like, all right, let's do this and help you out do, to do that. So then that job never worked out for you in the end? Like you couldn't continue doing something like that? No, because... Unfortunately, um, when I was doing the summer job, I was still considered 
in the group home. So once I left the group home, if I um, still wanted to continue as the summer job, one, it would take away from my provider hours. And two, um, it would make my rent go up and cost. So, yeah, can you explain that a little bit? Like, why that would happen? Because I'm in some, I'm in something that's called subsidized housing. And in subsidized housing, it goes strictly by your income. And so, if you work, of course, your income goes up. Well, they see that you're working. And even if they don't see that you're working, it's still your responsibility to report that you're working to the apartment complex because if they found out on their own, you could get in trouble. But that's another story. Um, so once you work, your rent goes up by the amount of hours that you work. And also, too, if I worked, um, the state would also think I wouldn't need as many provider hours because I would be out in the public and not at home. For you to get the maximum provider hours that you need, you need to constantly be at home unless you're going to a doctor's appointment or, you know, something like that. But, yeah. Or you can go to the grocery store, but if you're going to the grocery store, more times than not, your provider's going with you so they can help you get the items and everything right, right. that you need. So, Which is medical because you have to eat, so that is right. <laughs> but anyway so I don't know like I feel that's unfair because I like when I met you and you told me a lot of this stuff I just feel like you're like really one of the you're like one of the smartest people I've met in my life and you know I've met a lot of smart people <laughs> and um I think you're really you know like if someone could accommodate you I think you could actually do a job so I feel like the system almost keeps you in a place where they're not allowing you to move forward in that way. Um, is that correct? Or do you feel that way? Or how do you feel about that? I do feel that way. And at times, if I think about it too long, it does make me upset. But I'm also grateful that because my income is so low and I feel uncomfortable um, saying how much I actually get, but um, because my income is so low, I'm also grateful that there is something called subsidized housing, or I am able to live on my own and not being institutionalized. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I'm I'm so grateful for you that you, yeah, you get to live on your own, but at the same time, I do feel like that system of subsidized housing and the benefits you get, you know, for being disabled, I feel like we need to like, 
give disabled people a chance to, you know, have success and whatever success means, but like at least be able to maybe, you know, maybe get to the point where they don't need to give you money every month and you're making enough money to pay for your rent. And then, you know, kind of in small steps, help a disabled person become more independent in that way. Um, what are your, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I agree on that. But like I said, the more you work, the more like, if I worked, um, depending on how many hours I worked, I would have to um, pay more for rent. So it's almost like you get punished for, um, you know, working and trying to be out in the community and making something of yourself. So I totally agree that something does need to change and the system is totally outdated, I guess, is the right term to use. And I agree that something definitely needs to change. See, you're so much nicer than me because I was going to, the system is rigged. The system's rigged to make sure we can't go out. They just want us to stay home as disabled people and not go out into the world and have success in the way we should. Because I do feel like, um, sure, I understand if you make money, they're going to raise your rent. But I also think they should give you a grace period of because you know you don't know if you're always going to be able to do a job and because of your because the thing with disabled people we have pain and you know other things to deal with so it takes us a little time to get ready or you know it takes us time to be able to go to places and one of the things i love about the pandemic is it's really proven to the world that you can accommodate people to work from home so that being said, say an opportunity comes along for you where you can, let's say, be a receptionist for some company from home. Like they rig it out that you can answer phone calls, take messages, do whatever. But then at the same time, because you're making that extra money, they're going to raise your rent, which you may not be able to afford from the money you're making. So that's why I, I feel like it's this weird circle of... Um, like they're they're like oh we're going to give you these things but you need to make money like for me i feel like i'm always under this pressure of like oh what are you doing to get a job and make money and you know be more independent but then if i do make those steps then i get punished in a way because the things i have that help me make it through life in the tiniest way <laughs> the possible that I'll be punished for it. So, right. So yeah, so that's kind of like my, that's what really upsets me. Like that we're kind of held back as disabled people to not be able to move a little bit more forward in our lives and, you know, getting educated, all these things that help that, you know, non-disabled people have the opportunity to do and we don't because we're disabled. So. Right, because it's almost like we're being punished because we're disabled and it's not our fault that, you know, we've become disabled. But as a society, that's just how we feel that we have all these rules and 
regulations that we have to follow to be able to live on our own. And a lot of people think that when you're disabled, like you're supposed to live with your family until, you know, till the day you die. And that's, that's a wrong mentality to have too. Like we want to be on our own. We want to be independent as possible. We want to have our own place and we want to pay, you know, our own bills. We don't want to be under our loved one's roof, you know, all the time. Exactly. Like we want to have the chance to be able to go out and, you know, be able to do the things that everybody else wants to do, you know, like get a cool place, rent it, be able to get a job to, you know, be able to afford it and go to a restaurant, you know, just things like that. Like we, we, I think, yeah, society somehow doesn't understand that disabled people have the same needs, drives, wants, and dreams. Desires. Desires. Yeah. Desires as non-disabled people. So it's like, it's this weird mentality. And I just think it's something that we need to kind of figure out how to change. Like I say, like changing what we look at the human experiences as is like, not always, not everybody's going to be able to you know, their alarm clock goes out at seven in the morning, they jump out of bed, go take a shower, go get put their clothes on, get in their car and drive to work. That's not everyone's human experience. Like some people's human experiences. I'm in a lot of pain. I need a couple of hours to get out of bed. When I'm ready to go, I'm ready to do work. So give it to me and I will do it. And I'll probably do a better job than most people because I have drive and I had to do all this stuff to get to the point to be able to do it, you know? So, so that's like, you know, how I feel about a lot of stuff like that. Right. I totally agree with everything you just said. It's just something that we need to change as a society. And I don't know what it's going to take, but it needs to happen ASAP. I agree. ASAP. So I don't know. I I'm hoping that this COVID-19 pandemic has is teaching the world that we can include disabled people and we just have to think about it and come, you know, we just have to think about it and realize disabled people need chances. So I'm, that's my hope is like, like the disabled community can be like, Hey, you did this during the pandemic for non-disabled people, so you need to do it for us now. So I'm hoping, and I don't know how we'll do that. It's like, I don't know how that will work. Like, But I hope that happens, Like, and it'll be great. I can't think of anything else I want to say to you, Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> how rude. No, I'm just playing. Um. I don't know. Do you have any last words or anything you'd like to say to people like about being disabled and how you are a potential to your community or whatever, or anything you want to say? In my closing remarks, I just want to encourage those that are listening to this podcast that if you 
um, had the chance to meet a disabled person, no matter what their disability may be, give them the time of day. Like, don't automatically assume, oh, they're disabled. They don't have it all together upstairs. Take that take that negative thought out of your mind. And if you have the opportunity to meet a d- disabled person, do it. They will change your life and they will change your life for the better if you give them the opportunity to do that. Yes, I agree, Freddie. I am met Freddie and he has changed my life for the better, even though I'm disabled and he's disabled. But I feel like we met each other and we've changed each other's lives for the better. So imagine what it could do for people that are disabled. <laughs> That's what I have to say about that. I agree. So thank you so much, Freddie, for doing this. I really appreciate you giving your perspective on disability and hopefully people will understand that disabled people can contribute to our communities like everybody else. We just have to figure out how to help them do that. So thank you, Bria, for inviting me. And thank you for everyone taking the time to listen to me and listening to this podcast. Yay. Bye everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of This Crip Life. If you like what you hear, please consider donating at DIYable.com. And remember, disabled people are people.